0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer survivorship with Dr. Tara Sanft. Dr. Samft is an Assistant Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology and the Medical Director of Adult Survivorship for the Yale Cancer Center Survivorship Clinic. Dr. Chagpar is an Associate Professor of Surgery and the Assistant Director for Global Oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center.
1: So Tara, let's start off by talking about survivorship in general, but before we do that, let's set the stage. So how many
2: cancer survivors are there in the United States? Well, um, currently there's over 15 million cancer survivors in the United States alone. And it might be helpful to talk about a definition of cancer survivor um, at this time, because historically, and to this day, patients say, well, am I a survivor? I was just recently diagnosed. And so looking back historically, People often thought, well, if you reach a five-year mark, then you could be considered a cancer survivor. However, the um, National Cancer Institute, or the NCI, defines a cancer survivor as anyone who's had a diagnosis of cancer. And it starts at diagnosis, and the definition spans throughout his or her lifetime. And so um, any patient with a history of cancer is considered a survivor, whether you were diagnosed today or 20 years ago. Perfect. And so... You know, now with modern therapies,
1: are people living longer? Are, is the number of cancer survivors growing over
2: time? That's right. So in 1971, I think um, Richard Nixon declar- declared a war on cancer. There were 3 million cancer survivors in the United States. Wow. And so fast forward to today where there's nearly 16 million cancer survivors in the United States, that's an exponential growth. Part of it is early detection. Right. Um, And another part is that patients are just living longer with better treatments. Now, this number is going to continue to grow such that by 2026, there's going to be over 20 million cancer survivors in the United States alone. And, and that's
1: really a great thing, right? Because oftentimes cancer survivors are people who survived a diagnosis of cancer. Um, and so the fact that fewer people are dying of cancer and living either with their cancer or despite their cancer is a great thing. But those people have needs too. So are the needs of cancer survivors different than the needs of anybody else?
2: Well, I think that's a really good point, and I would like to say before going too much further is there's a large number of people who've had cancer that don't really agree with the term survivor. And so I think that's always fair to say when we're talking about these millions of people um, existing out there. So my father, for instance, has a, had a history of prostate cancer, but never once has he talked with me about his cancer survivorship, for instance. Mm-hmm. So. I think it is important to recognize that with all these millions of survivors in the United States, everyone is different. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, there are some unique unifying needs that I've seen in my time working with cancer survivors um, and includes things like um, fear of recurrence. So the normal population who may not have had a cancer diagnosis wouldn't have a fear of having a recurrent cancer, but it's almost universal mm-hmm. amongst people who've had a diagnosis of cancer. And it really isn't always correlated with your actual risk of recurrence. So it's a very common emotion to have, whether or not you have a 2% risk of recurrence or a 70% risk of recurrence. Right. So, so do, do
1: people tend to overestimate their risk of recurrence?
2: Well, so, I mean, the people who have been studied the most tend to be the breast cancer population yeah. and what patients themselves estimate as their risk is not does not actually correlate with their actual risk. Okay. So, so one
1: would anticipate that with that fear of recurrence, I mean, that might generate a lot of anxiety and so on and so forth. What should cancer survivors do about that? I mean, are there things that they should be thinking about or resources that they should be accessing that can help reduce that anxiety? I mean, now that we've kind of identified what, as you called it, is a universal phenomenon amongst uh, cancer survivors that is distinct from the general population, are there ways that those people can address those issues?
2: So I would say that the first step a cancer survivor could do who's experiencing uh, the fear of recurrence is to recognize that it's normal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, in our survivorship clinic, for instance, where we see patients who are recently finished with treatment, just saying that is very normal feeling to have um, can help people cope with it better. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, there are Patients who become paralyzed with that fear, and it's very hard to sort of move on or to establish a new normal, if you will, when all you can think about is the what if this comes back or if every ache and pain means that my cancer is back. Mm-hmm. For those patients, um, I think there are multiple resources. We need to do better with our treatments for fear of recurrence. Frankly, as a medical community, um, more research is needed to understand how to help these, um, this population. But certain things such as mindfulness, and mindfulness based stress reduction techniques Mm -hmm. have been shown to help uh, survivors sort of cope with that fear or that, that thought about something that's going to happen in the future, but hasn't actually happened yet.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I suppose talking to your doctor, your medical team, seeing if there is a a survivorship clinic uh, in your community um, might be helpful as
2: well. Right. So um, social workers are often uh, very well equipped to uh, steer patients in the right direction when these issues come up. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes... um, The most severe cases need ongoing support from either a psychiatrist or a therapist. And depending on the community you live in, there are um, professionals who have experience with cancer survivors in particular. Mm -hmm. And there's a long list of literature out there, too, that helps um, patients that they could read books and articles and, and internet resources that can help. Um, sort of frame some of this for them.
1: What about what about support groups? I mean, are those helpful or do they increase patient anxiety? I mean, if you're in a support group and you see something, somebody whose cancer has come back, does that actually increase your anxiety? Or is it that if you're in a support group, uh, everybody's kind of dealing with the same thing, so that reduces your anxiety?
2: <clears throat> well, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, there is literature specifically in the metastatic breast cancer setting where support groups helped patients cope better and potentially live longer. Hmm. Um, Yeah, that data is uh, now, I would say, older data, but that was really um, the beginnings of Mm psycho-oncology. And so I think support groups can be very beneficial to certain types of patients. Now, if you feel like you can relate to a group and yet still keep um emotions that happen if a patient recurs in check, that would be a very helpful setting for you. Um, for other patients, if they feel they are are too different from a population. So for instance, the very young um, sometimes don't always benefit from a general support group if they feel like they're not really within the general age group of a of a support group. So some cancer centers have set up specific support groups that address those certain demographics, like the the adolescent and young adult population, for instance. Got it. You know,
1: many of our listeners um, may not be cancer survivors themselves, but they may know um, people who have cancer. I mean, when we think about the U.S. statistics, you know, one in every two men will be diagnosed sometime over their lifetime, one in three women. Um And so most likely, somebody knows somebody who's had cancer. And so are there tips on how you as a friend, a neighbor, a colleague um, should try to be helpful in that situation, where you um, have somebody who is a cancer survivor who may be having fear of recurrence or anxiety or the whole emotional roller coaster of a cancer diagnosis? Oftentimes, the people around them don't really know what to say or how to support them. What's your advice on that?
2: Um, I, you know, my sense that we could—the advice that I could give to um, friends and family members, and as well as medical professions—is to meet the survivor where they are. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, um, some patients get through their cancer and the cancer treatment, and They don't want to talk about it, and they just want to sort of try to get back into their regular routines. Many people have a hard time when cancer treatment ends. So the support systems that come on at the time of diagnosis um, are often very strong. Think about the medical community, for instance. We have all these resources for patients in treatment. Um, And think about neighborhood communities and and signing up to bring a meal, for instance, while someone's on cancer treatment. oftentimes jobs and employers will take special care of their employees while they're on cancer treatment. Well, when that treatment ends, people bang a gong and say congratulations and are really happy for you. And oftentimes that's when the survivorship phase of struggling really starts to come out. And I think it's not as obvious. Mm -hmm. So people start to look more like their old selves. And and because of that, um, family members and community members and employers and even doctors can start to assume that things are okay or back to quote-unquote normal, when in fact, what survivors tell us in clinic all the time is that that you kind of look around and say, wow, what did I just go through? I've been through a lot, and I'm not sure that I'm dealing with it as well as I thought I was. And so um, what I would tell our general community, is we need to be aware of that. We need to be sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And we need to be supportive of the survivor who might not feel like going full-time back to work and doing the laundry and cleaning the house and making the meals and, and being the best friend and do all those things that that person did before. It might take them longer to kind of figure things out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and the flip side of that, of course, is that survivors
1: might want to ask for help when they need help so that the assumptions that they're back to normal um, can be dispelled uh, rather quickly.
2: Yes. I mean, it can be hard, I think, to ask for help because of all of the support that they may have received during treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think certain things that we see, some unifying themes tend to be, I want to um, get back to my physical shape, mm-hmm. you know, I want, and whatever that may be. I want to really address some physical impairments that I've gotten now as a result of my cancer treatment that I wasn't able to address during my treatment. I want to address my nutrition concerns. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these are lifelong concerns, but cancer tends to be a teachable moment. Right. So now I'm ready to make those changes. How do I do that? And and we as medical professionals should be aware of these concerns, address them appropriately, but also family members, um, community members, friends, can be buddies. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go for a walk together. Let's figure out how to eat better. You know, what's important now? And some and many survivors will sort of reprioritize things after cancer treatment. I think being open to that as a friend or family member is really important.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the diet and nutrition part because, you know, many cancer survivors, I think, Um, are always asking, like, was it something that I ate? Was my nutrition that caused this cancer? And what can I do in terms of what can I eat or avoid eating that can prevent my cancer from coming back and have a lot of concerns about their diet and trying to get to a uh, a healthier diet? Um, So I hope that after we take a short break for a medical minute, you'll come back and tell us more about what you would recommend in terms of diet and lifestyle, physical activity, uh, both for our cancer survivors and their buddies uh, in terms of the general population. We'll take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about cancer survivorship with my guest, Dr. Tara Sanft.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about genetic testing, which can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers. Interdisciplinary teams include geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together to provide risk assessment and steps to prevent the development of cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Tara Samft. We're talking about cancer survivorship. Now, before the break, we talked about one of the concern of cancer survivors is often this fear of recurrence. But then, Tara, you also mentioned that, you know, sometimes cancer survivors have a lot of concerns about What do I eat? Did I eat something wrong that caused this cancer? How can I prevent a cancer from coming back? Should I be taking dietary supplements? Um, What should I do to alter my diet? What about physical activity? Can I lift weights? Should I not lift weights? Help me. Um, What what advice do you give uh, cancer survivors with regards to all of those things?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. The we asked over 300 survivors who came through our clinic what their top two concerns were, and the majority of them fell into fear and coping, which we've already talked about a little bit, and then the others were nutrition, physical activity, and weight, in addition to symptoms and side effects. Mm -hmm. So this is another unifying theme amongst cancer survivors. Um, I think it's hard not to reflect on your life at the time of a diagnosis and think if there was something that um, could have been done to prevent this or if there was something that led to this happening. Um, the truth is we we know very little about diet and exercise as it um, directly relates to cancer occurrence except that um, there, is, there is association between obesity and multiple types of cancers. Um, that being said, there's a growing body of Uh, literature showing that people who maintain a healthy lifestyle throughout their life have lower rates of cancer or cancer recurrence, for instance. So the focus on health after cancer, I think, is very important. Um, Another reason why it's important to focus on this is because many early stage cancers, such as, uh, for instance, breast cancer, their biggest threat to their health after the cancer treatment is actually cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. just like the rest of the general population. And I think that's often overlooked after cancer diagnosis. So um, there's very few downsides to focusing on a healthy diet and um, and regular physical activity. And as you said, this is a
1: teachable moment kind of uh, diagnosis, uh, where people can kind of take uh, a stock of their life and say, you know what? Thank you. I, I I had cancer, and now I want to change for the better.
2: That's right. I think as an adult, it's very hard for us to really change behaviors. And uh, cancer can be one of those times where we are really ready to overhaul some major things. And we see this all the time in our cancer survivorship clinic, where patients have come in and they're really ready. Now, the The thing to keep in mind from a medical standpoint is that less than 25% of oncologists talk about health promotion with their patients. We all feel like we know you should be healthy, um, but I think we don't always have the vocabulary or know exactly how to talk to our patients about it. And and it often gets kind of bumped down on the list of things that need to be addressed. But it is very important. Survivors are much more likely to make a change if they've discussed it with a healthcare professional like their medical doctor. Um, and so I think what's important to know, again, is to meet the survivor where they're at. There's no sense in saying you should go out and run a half marathon if you can't walk a block. Um, so the recommendation is 150 minutes per week of exercise or about 30 minutes per day. And that, But that shouldn't be the thing that you start off with. You can certainly um, counsel your survivors to start off um, at much lower increments. A 10-minute walk is better than nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And this is where the buddy system can really come into play. So we often feel as loved ones, I want to do something, uh, maybe instead of making the batch of chocolate chip cookies, offer to go on a walk. And and we really do think that some of that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters what you eat, and it matters what you do, both during treatment and afterwards.
1: You know, a lot of cancer patients, however, might say, I, I know that I want to get healthy, and I know that I want to incorporate more physical activity, but... I'm just so tired mm-hmm. um, or I have gained weight I, and in some cancers you gain weight and some cancers you lose weight. But I, you know, I just I, I getting that motivation either because of physical fatigue or just mental exhaustion because you've been through so much. How do you overcome
2: that? Well, you know, I think fatigue is a real issue. It's, again, almost universal with cancer and cancer treatment um, that patients report fatigue. What we know is that patients who are physically active and survivors who are physically active have less fatigue than those who aren't. And so it's strange, but if you think about it, you know, getting off the couch and doing something will actually help that fatigue more than taking naps or resting. Mm. That's the interesting part of cancer fatigue. Now that's a hard obstacle to overcome, just getting up off the couch. So again, um, I have a physical therapist that I work with in my clinic who is uh, a survivor himself and counsels nothing but cancer survivors on how to do this. And so I've picked up a few tips from him. Um, Starting small is one of them, engaging a buddy is another, but other things like setting a goal. So you know, deciding that I wanna walk a 5K in three months, And getting that on your calendar can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Many patients say or survivors will say, I don't have time. I have no time in my day. And what what his skill is is to go through your schedule and actually find that time. So he gave an example recently um, that he dropped his car off for an oil change and had his clothes You know with him and he went for a run while his oil was being changed um there's it doesn't have to be perfect and and certainly we shouldn't all feel like we need to be in a gym sweating it out at five o'clock every morning in order to see these benefits it could be just parking further away um and trying to get you know those steps steps. in Yeah. yeah um taking the stairs down instead of the elevator for instance um there's every little thing does matter and, and you should reward yourself when you reach those little milestones and, and realize you're doing something really good for yourself.
1: Yeah. What about um in terms of diet? You said the other thing that people often talk about is nutrition. So I think there may still be a uh, some questions as to, well, what kind of diet should I be eating as a cancer survivor? I mean, should I avoid all meats? Should I avoid all alcohol? Should I avoid all carbs? Uh, what
2: what what do you recommend? Yeah, so nutrition is a very hot topic, not just amongst cancer survivors, but I think in the population as a whole. Um, I do work with a registered dietitian who's a certified specialist in oncology, so she's helped me learn some tips to tell our survivors. And the truth is, um, the recommendations put forth by the American Cancer Society and um, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO, are Very same, the very same recommendations that all of us should be following, which is a plant based diet. So that means predominantly fruits and vegetables, about two and a half cups per day is um, the recommended serving, and um, avoiding red meat or eating it sparingly. And you know, if the alcohol debate, um, probably drinking alcohol, less than one drink per day for women, and I think less than two or three drinks per day for men. Um, But if you're not a drinker, don't start. (laughs) And, um, you know, if you want to be a teetotaler about it, you could cut alcohol out. I don't think that it's um, necessarily beneficial when it comes to cancer in particular. Right. Right. And so and so, then the question is, well, what about supplements? Because a lot of
1: cancer survivors kind of say, well, I mean, should I be going to the health food store and buying supplements? Should I be taking a vitamin? Should I be, you know, using the latest uh, alternative uh, supplement? How do you feel about supplements in the survivorship
2: period? Okay, so I think the... The official stance on supplements is to not use supplements to prevent cancer recurrence. So, we, we really have no good data that shows any one supplement is able to prevent cancer from coming back. That being said, most Cancer survivors take some supplements. We just um, don't ask about it a lot. But when we have in the in the studies that are published, um, the fact is people are just doing this. And, um, and so I think as a medical community, we need to ask and then we need to talk about it. And in those cases, my personal philosophy is first do no harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in certain types of cancer, for instance, breast cancer, women can be on pills for a very long time after their cancer to prevent it from recurring. And those pills can interact with a lot of supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those cases, I think it's really important to bring to attention the met, um, to your doctor the types of supplements that you're using to make sure that you're not harming yourself. Um, the truth is that if you eat a variety of foods, you're going to obtain most of the things that you need in your diet, and, um, and that tends to be what we tell our patients to do. Okay, great. So beyond diet
1: and exercise, um, there are other things that I think could really affect cancer survivors. And I I wanna touch just a little bit on some of those. So one is one that you mentioned, which is the side effects of treatment. How long do those side effects last? And what do cancer patients, say about that? I mean, presumably they're different for different kinds of cancer and different kinds of treatment. Um, but how 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 do they cope with that? I mean, do those side effects last forever? Do they just have to deal?
2: Well, you know, again, I think when you're talking about millions of cancer survivors in any given time now, um, it's really hard to lump all of this together. Mm-hmm. So I'd I would say that, you know, for each type of cancer that you've had, there's a long list of potential what we call late um, side effects, which could happen years after your treatment is over Mm -hmm. or long term. That means things that you've acquired during the treatment process that may stick with you or sometimes never go away. Um, And so that can be different depending on who you are and the types of treatments that you've had. And it's important that you do talk to your oncologist and your primary care provider who's navigating your care going forward about these to um, offer specific treatments. Um, You know, that being said, I think we have um, strategies on how to help people oftentimes can involve specialists like physical therapists um, who may help with Let's say post-surgical mobility issues, for instance, um, we're getting better at addressing things like neuropathy, which is numbness and tingling in your hands and your feet that you can get with certain types of chemotherapy. Um, and you know, then there's other side effects that are a little bit harder to address and sometimes harder to bring up, um, which include sexual side effects, mm-hmm. for instance, um, in men and women, and without talking about it, we certainly can't treat it, um, but the treatments are becoming more diverse and, and more encompassing, I think, to try to uh, help survivors achieve an intimate lifestyle that they that they had before or that they wanna get, get more out of their um, relationship going forward. And I would imagine that the whole cancer diagnosis and
1: treatment, has quite an impact on relationships, even without the physical side effects, right? Because now this this relationship, this family uh, has gone through what is really a major life event, um, which can either strengthen a relationship or make it disintegrate. What do you think about that?
2: Well, you know, I think... Um Cancer 's not often in anybody 's plans yeah. <laughs> and and so dep- and it 's often not in a, a caregiver 's plans, and so when this happens, um, I think it affects much more than just the patient him, himself or herself, it affects their loved ones, including their partner and I think that caregiver stress and the caregiver burden um, is really not well understood and certainly not well addressed within the medical community. Um, and I think it's, it's a real issue that needs to be supported so that pa- um, people can maintain their relationships um, rather than have them derail.
0: Dr. Tara Sanft is an assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology and the medical director of adult survivorship for the Yale Cancer Center Survivorship Clinic. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu. And past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.